Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we're joined by Mark Willis, the CEO of Accor for Turkey, India, Middle East and Africa. Previous to Mark's appointment, he was the president for the Asia region with Movinpec Hotels and Resorts. Uh, so Accor is a worldwide leader in hospitality, the biggest hospitality group in Europe, and uh, they take care of millions of guests all around the world, holding 5,100 addresses, and I think that figure is always going up. Today, we'll talk to Mark about the story of Accor, its long-established success, the hospitality industry in general, uh, and how it is pushing ahead in post-pandemic and the future of the hospitality industry and what we can also expect from Accor. So good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning. Thanks very much for your time and thanks for joining uh, the podcast today. No, thank you. Thanks for the invite. And uh, we had a quick chat offline. It looks like you're in a very contemporary modern space. Uh, where are you at the moment? I'm in the corporate office uh, here in Media City, Dubai. Um, and it's got a very it's got a very lifestyle feeling our office they I actually I'm in my office but I didn't want one it, it's not it's not needed anymore uh, um, I must say I spend more time outside in the public area in the coffee uh, the coffee area with the guys and with the team and with owners so yeah very contemporary space so that your office is for podcasts and, and interviews instead rather than work <laughs> great uh, well yeah so just uh, off that intro can you tell us a little bit more about your role the region and uh, of course presence sure no problem um, I'm many years in the region uh, uh, over 20 years, 25 years, I think, coming up to. I'm not getting any younger, that's for sure. Uh, so I'm a long time here, long time in Dubai, uh, although I've worked all over the region, obviously traveled extensively, more than most people, actually. I think uh, 2019, I was 126 flights. So <clears throat> much of my role is uh, traveling between owners and hotels and uh, uh, various events, uh, promoting a core and, and promoting our, uh, our wonderful portfolio of over 40 brands. Uh, here in the region, we are over 400 hotels, uh, which is close to 90,000 uh, keys. And, and as you said, uh, from an Accor perspective, globally over 5,000 hotels, uh, we continue to grow, that is for sure. Um, huge Amazing. portfolio of hotels. Yeah, India, Turkey. Uh, Middle East is is big for us, of course. 141 hotels, and uh, as is Africa, um, and with a with a number one brand here, the major operator in uh, in all the key locations across the region. So yeah, so for scale, obviously those numbers are massive. But for people who aren't really familiar with uh, the hotel industry, largely speaking, there are some uh, premium. There are some not the word premium, but there are some key players. Uh, global conglomerates groups that have yeah. a franchise and ownership model and they they may have uh brands underneath you mentioned uh 40 brands but they, they would have brands underneath and uh, sure. how, how does that kind of how would you explain that to someone who is just you know one of those keys and doesn't know the structure who owns what uh, listen it's uh one it's an interesting topic and two it's an ever-changing topic as the industry is consolidating under the big brands and uh and not not to mention too much about my competitors of course but um 
uh, we are in the hospitality industry, so you, so you can be pleasant at all times. Uh, uh, joking aside, obviously you've got the big brands, Accor, Marriott, Hilton, uh, IHG, uh, to name a few. And under those headline brands, you have the supporting brands uh, of that infrastructure. So for Marriott and Hilton, obviously there's the various brands underneath those. And for Accor, there's various brands per segment from mid-scale eco to premium, to luxury, to uh, ultra-luxury. So mid-scale eco with regards to um, uh, Ibis, um, premium brands where you've got things like uh, Move and Pick and Novotel, uh, luxury brands, Fairmont, uh, um, Raffles, Sofitel, Sofitel, yeah. and, and Raffles sitting at, uh, um, at ultra-luxury, Raffles and, uh, and Orient Express. Wow, yeah, it's, it is fascinating. And how, how is that changing? Skipping ahead a little bit, but you mentioned it was always changing. I, if you can see, uh, there's a huge shift uh, over the last five years into the leisure arena and also the lifestyle. Um, uh, business hotels, everybody knows. Resort hotels, everybody knows. But, you know, all-inclusive luxury is a relatively new, uh, a relatively new segment of business of which Rixos, leads the way in that segment by far. It's, a, it's such a wonderful, uh, all-inclusive brand uh, at, at the highest level. And, and we're lucky enough to have Rixos with, uh, within our portfolio of brands. Another key uh, uh, shift is, is into the lifestyle segment, which we mentioned before, not least the relevance to this office. The desire for a lifestyle stay and a lifestyle experience while you're at a hotel, that has increased dramatically uh, in recent years. And from an Accor perspective, uh, over the last six months, you, you see the uh, integration and, and merger with Ennismore, who have Hoxton as a lifestyle brand, and Accor, uh, who uh, has the SBE portfolio, uh, a, a, as well as other lifestyle brands of Mama Shelter, 25 Hours, Delano, Mondrian, uh, and Hyde, um, and these brands are uh, uh, being very heavily developed. Uh, they have an interest from people that want to invest, and it's a really growing. Uh, it's a really growing segment, um, additional segment. So you know that's a good point with regards to change and how the how the industry is developing from brand portfolio perspective. Fascinating, and you know when people get their head into this space, they can see how much. Uh, the, how much it touches all of our lives, all of our brands. There's so many different nuances to the sure. hospitality sector in many ways. It spills over to F&B, of course. But just kind of um, looking at this region, uh, when, when you mentioned those numbers for this region, are we talking about Turkey, India, Middle East and Africa? Is that a unique structure to a core or is that simply sort of the territories that you oversee? No, I, I, listen, the, the various organizations have different infrastructures in place. Um, some organizations run their business out of, out of Europe uh, with regards to the Middle East. Um, from an core perspective, we have offices in all the key locations here. Um, Morocco, Egypt, um, uh, Saudi Arabia, which is obviously critical for us um, uh, to name uh, but a few. Uh, um, and, and no more so than, uh, than here in Dubai, where you know, we have a, a huge footprint and portfolio. So we're very close to the market, very close to our investors and our owners. Um, and we look to grow and, and, uh, and develop our footprint here uh, as, as much as we can and, and you know, deliver on that guest promise and, 
support the guys that are managing the hotels at property level. So we, we prefer to have the structure uh, uh, and infrastructure uh, here, here where the business is rather yeah. than the location. It's very much an emerging market. Uh, so working backwards a little bit, uh, quick Wikipedia search. <laughs> I'll admit it was okay. quite quick, but <laughs> well, well, just in terms of the, how the group that was established, it's a French company listed in Paris. Uh, how did it evolve from the origin uh, up until now? And with regards to also maybe finishing with uh, the point of difference that, that you feel a core offers versus its group competitors? I mean, the, the company's got a wonderful history and, and I'm relatively new to Accor. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm with the organization three years. Okay. Um, it, it's very interesting to look back and see where, they, where the company came from. It was very French centric uh, and subsequently very European centric, predominantly owned hotels uh, through, the, through those early years uh, under, the, uh, under the early leadership in the company. Um, over the last six, seven years, uh, under uh, Sebastian Mazan, there's been a shift in the organization, much, towards, uh, much more towards an asset light uh, infrastructure, which is very focused on managed hotels and franchise. Um, but Accor is predominantly a, a, a managed uh, hotel infrastructure versus the other brands, which are, are, are more uh, focused on franchise. And, and you can see over the last five, six years how the company has grown and developed. Uh, it's trebled its brand portfolio. Um, its footprint has grown very, very aggressively outside the US and outside China. Uh, um, for the most part, Accor is the number one player on the ground in any market, regardless of, uh, of where you are. And, and again, you know, when you're talking about Europe, Middle East, Africa, South America, uh, they're huge, huge markets. And, uh, uh, and, and we're definitely the top player in those markets. So the company has grown dramatically. What it's been able to do very, very well is hold on to its footprint and its belief in those brands as individual brands. It is very, very careful to maintain brand quality uh, and the brand's essence and uniqueness. And I think it's a real differentiating, differentiating factor for a core, along with the whole uh, people first perspective of a core which it's something very new to me uh, at this level it's a huge company um, with a lot of employees 300,000 plus um, over 5,000 hotels as we mentioned however it, it is a personal company and you know you you'll hear a lot of senior leaders talk about such topic um, and and rightly so but really at a core it is not just a conversational piece there's a real focus on the people you know if i look at the very difficult year or 14 months that we've just had <clears throat> within our industry obviously a lot of industries impacted globally and, and dreadfully no more so than our industry by the way which has been uh, uh, so heavily hit on a number of fronts and you know while uh, all other organizations within the sector uh, focusing very close to home, uh, a cause perspective from the onset was, okay, what about our people? What about our owners? And very, very quickly, they put together with the approval of our amazing board, by the way, uh, in the forefront of, of this controversy that, that suddenly engulfed the world. Um, they put together a, a hardest fund, uh, 70 million euros, in order to support our team members impacted by the pandemic. 
you know, we are heavily using that fund today in our area. So many people assisted with the fund. I, I myself, I, I had anticipated that would be some horribly bureaucratic uh, process to release funds and, and assist, but that hasn't been the case. And it's been a wonderful, uh, it's been a wonderful fund to have and, and still being heavily utilized, actually. It's, uh, it's been super. So brand essence and, and uh, putting its people first are the, are the key elements of a core and, and what makes it different. And that would obviously, as you said, come through in the pandemic. And we'll, we'll touch about that, touch on that as well as we kind of, you know, we, we see uh, travel opening up a bit and more occupancy and everything like that. But just in terms of, you mentioned managed and franchise and owned. Can you explain uh, the difference and also how you approach them? Uh, I think it's fascinating in terms of, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned, asset light and obviously, uh, people would have thought maybe in the hospitality sector going back before there was a kind of global brand rollout that most hotels would have a proprietor who is the owner who owns the brand. And how did that change, Mark, over the years? How did it become, was there one global brand who said, okay, we're just going to do a franchise all over the world and everyone else did it? And or how, how did the business model evolve? I mean, it was, it was, it was evolving in the early years, but, uh, um, the, the key instigator there of change is digitalization, in my opinion. Uh, and again, there's people that know such topics far better than me. So uh, maybe I'm incorrect, of course. But my perspective is very much you have an investor that wants to build and invest in an asset. And then you have expertise that is needed to manage and operate that, uh, that entity, that business. And that expertise has become much more technical and much more difficult outside the norms of the hotel business, food and beverage, uh, guest service, uh, guest quality. It's become a much, more, uh, a, a much more difficult industry from a knowledge perspective. And you need knowledge, you need expertise, and with that digitalization, you need reach. And the brands, if you look at the at an organization organization like like a core, what we offer is all those topics in a bundle, and we will manage your asset for you. Now, if you've got a, as an example, an experienced owner that has a number of properties, um, they they understand management, they understand that dynamic, they understand brand quality. Um, so they have that infrastructure in and what they are missing is loyalty and reach and digitalization of a, of a large organization. So uh, uh, taking a franchise route would be perfect for that owner. For an owner that is just looking to invest and entrust their asset to a professional organization, this is where a managed uh, um, contract is uh, or a managed agreement uh, is more suitable. And the owner can sit, literally take a step back and let an organization like a core uh, utilize one of its brands to promote the hotel um, and, uh, and, and move forward accordingly. Um, and, and, in and it's in very simple terms, but effectively that's how it works. That's, I'm starting to understand it now. Thank you. It's a bit uh, clear. Uh, so, for example, if I'm a guest and I'm familiar with or I'm on a core point system, and I, I think our Colleague Sister Brandon Love in Dubai just gave away a million points uh, this morning. That's right, yeah, we a campaign, that's right. With, with one of your, uh, uh, you know, fine new establishments uh, in SLS Hotel, which looks incredible. I haven't been there, but it looks incredible. But oh, you need yeah. to go. You need to go. It's 
amazing, amazing hotel. Is this a, is this a you, brand? You is on, yeah, sorry. You touched on food and beverage, and uh, the hotel is fabulous. The infrastructure is fabulous. By the way, they have a wonderful team there. But the food and beverage at the hotel is something to uh, go and experience, really. It's, okay. uh, it's a very special hotel. Sorry, I, in, I interrupted you. No, no, I was, I was jumping around the question. But yeah, it is something that people are seeing on their socials and Instagrams. And it does have that fine Burj Khalifa view, which is yeah, priceless in many ways. But no, I, really, <laughs> I was just wondering about when, once one arrives at one of your brand hotels, like the Fairmont, it, what might look consistent in terms of quality and service. At what stage would you get involved? Do you, do you get involved in the development stage? Do you get involved in the fit out stage? Or how do you make the brand, how do you maintain the brand physically um, in all the establishments? Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the essence of the brand, as I mentioned previously, I, I think we are particularly good at maintaining that and right, uh, just as well because we have a lot of brands. So it's something that you need to, uh, you need to focus on. Otherwise, the brands will, will start to cross over and seep into each other. So ideally, ideally, you start with a greenfield site and you go through the process of design and pre-opening and opening and operation. And as you go through those stages, the various key elements of the brand are controlled and maintained from the team here in Dubai or, or, or in another location. There's also a scenario where, uh, as a hotel company, we will take over an already uh, operational, unbranded hotel. And in that scenario, uh, invariably, uh, you end up putting together what they call a PIP, a property improvement plan, in order to make sure that that hotel as it stands today, and by the way, it's operating perfectly, the certain changes that they need to make, they make in order for the hotel to be branded, whether it be Fairmont or Sofitel, Novenpick, Pullman, Novotel, mm. uh, any of the other brands. And what's the most common approach mark in, in Dubai or in the region that you've seen? Is it more from a, a real estate point of view as an investment and they would like the managed service, the brand? Or do you see a lot of people who are uh, looking for franchises who are also operational uh, and would like your partnership as well? Or what would the split be? No, I, I mean, it's, a, it's definitely an 80-20 split, 80% uh, managed and, and 20 percent uh, franchise for a core okay uh, other brands uh, um, take a different approach with regards to franchise we're very careful what we franchise very careful we don't franchise luxury up um, okay. we're careful with what we franchise the owner needs to have a certain amount of knowledge um, in order to protect the brand and also the guest experience um, and sometimes that works perfectly fine but uh, for the most part, we're a, we're a managed organization in the area. I have just over 20 hotels that are franchised out of over 400. Um, so it's a, it's a relatively small number. Okay. Um, the managed approach, uh, as I said, is, is much more all-encompassing. Um, and for the most part, people that deal with the core, they come with that perspective. We, we would like to trust you. You're an international company international brand standards and internationally recognized uh, by both leisure and business travelers. Here's our asset and we'd like you to manage it for us. Okay, interesting. I can see why you would have offices in these places then, because if you're, if you're managing most of it locally, then you'll need your hotel managers, but also the digital services and the brands to provide that as well. And do you do the training in those countries? And how does, how does the recruitment and the training in the hospitality sector work for Accor? 
Yeah, listen, this is a, it's a cornerstone element of what we do. And again, uh, unlike um, uh, the approach of, of some of our peers, we take a very, you need to be on the ground in that market in order to support that business approach, uh, whether it be Morocco or Cairo or Johannesburg or here in Dubai, um, uh, Riyadh um, and, and Turkey, Istanbul, uh, Delhi for India, you need to be on the ground because you need to interact with those hotels um, and you need to visit those properties, interact with those owners, support those teams, whether regardless of what the topic may be. And from a recruitment perspective, there's very succinct uh, uh, formats and, um, and dynamics with regards to recruitment, making sure that you're bringing the right people for that brand and that location. And, and as everybody knows, uh, culturally you need to be fully integrated within that culture it's no good appointing somebody that would fit perfectly in turkey into delhi that that just doesn't work so a lot of effort goes into recruiting the right people from gm uh, uh, right through the ranks uh, at a property level and uh, yeah so if, if i'm if i'm in the hospitality industry or i'm just i've just trained uh, in the university or just in a course and I would like to be a hotel manager and I'd join, uh, what would be my career trajectory within a core? What would be my first role? How long is average stay in a hotel? And is it a global job or do I hold it down in one place? You know, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I'm the wrong yeah. person. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a passionate hotelier and uh, I'm a really good example of, of how hospitality works. And, there are not too many industries that offer the opportunities of this industry. I, I'm a, a chef. I started in the kitchen. I started in the wash-up, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, progressed into the kitchen. And, um, you know, the industry has offered me the opportunity. I've worked all over the world, uh, educated to a master's degree level, which, again, I've, I've done as part of my, uh, my career. Wow. Um, and there's a wonderful level of opportunity in the industry. If, if you have the right at, attitude and, and the right aptitude, um, you know, the, the world is literally your oyster. It's a very transient industry. Uh, people move between the brands. Uh, a core, by the way, has got a fabulous retention statistic with regards to holding on to its people and moving them internationally if they wish to move. Some people don't want to move, of course, but mm. having the opportunity to do... Uh, your studies in London or, or Europe or wherever, and then move directly from there to Dubai or uh, Singapore or Hong Kong or to the Sydney office um, is, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't believe it's uh, similar to any other industry from that perspective. There really is uh, a world of opportunity within hospitality, especially for anybody young coming into the industry. I think it's a huge opportunity going forward. Maybe especially in this region as well. Um, but yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I actually personally had some hotel jobs when I was younger, everything from... Uh, Which many people do, right? Which yeah. Many people do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to, to put it in perspective and to stick it out to see where you would end up, because, you know, we, especially in Dubai, we come across people who work in the industry and they would be seconded. And I was just at a hotel the other day and uh, it was announced at Irish Business Network that the treasurer who is managing that hotel is moving to Bristol and Warsaw. And it got me thinking of, ah, I'm here for a while, I move. It's almost like, yeah, it's, it's like a, a football manager or something. We jump around to different places, different Absolutely. gigs. 
it's fascinating but also also so is the you know the different roles that you would have and what what's your favorite role what's your best experience was it as a in the, sh- oh, in the kitchen or or which is a terrible you? question <laughs> pick it's a, a favorite question. <laughs> uh, listen i'm a i'm a creative individual and and um I love what I do. I love my job. I'm super passionate about the industry. You know, Sebastian, our uh, our chairman and CEO, always refers to it as a blessed industry, and it truly is a blessed industry. We work in a wonderful industry. Um, but yeah, from my perspective, yeah, the kitchen is uh, is always going to have a special place in my heart. I love to cook, and uh, you know, I, I I sometimes say to different owners, come to Dubai. I take you to the best restaurant in Dubai, and uh, and then they are surprised when I invite them to my house and cook. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I still love the kitchen. Amazing. I, my, my wife's a lucky lady. That's what I think. <laughs> that's great. Great to hear. But uh, so, yeah, what's your view then, Mark, on whether a hotel should bring in restaurant brands or have their own brands? And what's the kind of split within your group as well? Yeah, listen, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. And obviously there's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of very well-known brands, restaurant brands out there, uh, no more so than today. And, and uh, what's fabulous to see <clears throat> at the uh, less expensive level of the scale, the quality of food and the increase in expectation, which has driven that, has improved dramatically. So that, that's something to comment on. I, I think it's a real shift. You know, it used to be that you needed to spend a lot of money to get a, a really quality meal experience. And uh, today that's not the case. So that's my first point. The second point for me, I, I think a mix of the two, you know, as hotel operators, we have our own brands, we have our own concepts, our own design, our own kitchen teams, of course. But in some locations, you know, it's right to bring out, uh, bring in an external operator, uh, which we do. Uh, it's not that we're, we don't do it too much, but we do do that. It can be that you have a, you know, a, a three, 400 bedroom Fairmont and uh, the, re- the hotel has six restaurants and you outsource one or you outsource two and operate the others yourself. So I think a mix uh, is not a bad thing if, if it suits that location. And, and again, like I say, what's nice is today you can put a, a burger restaurant uh, into uh, you know, a, a high quality hotel. And that doesn't downgrade the hotel. Mm. Uh, I'm not talking about one of the fast food brands, but today there are some wonderful burger concepts uh, uh, out there, which, you, which everybody's aware of. And, um, you know, the, the quality of food is super high. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting topic. And again, from an accord perspective, the lifestyle hotels that we have in Delano and Hyde and, and Mondrian, Mama Shelter, they have their own wonderful uh, um, restaurant concepts, Katsuya, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think you'll see those become uh, ever more prevalent as we move forward. Interesting. F- fascinating concepts as well uh, to kind of get the right mix. So two questions around the region. Uh, one more specific about, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia in the context of what we talked about in hospitality and some numbers uh, like one million people will be trained within Saudi Arabia to work in the sector as part of the vision uh, 2030, there are uh, huge mega gigapart projects around tourism and hospitality. How do you view that market? And also how, would you, how do you approach 
something like, say, the Red Sea development in terms of uh, a course involvement from the start? Listen, Saudi Arabia, close to my heart, I've been going in and out of the kingdom for so many years. Uh, it's wonderful to see what has gone on there in the last 10 years. It, it's become much more of a more progressive location. And then not least in the last five years with Vision 2030, um, they have visionary leadership, they have desire to change the perspective of the country, uh, and they have a real focus on uh, tourism uh, along with this Vision 2030 and, and how they see that being developed. The religious tourism aside, because that's obviously huge, mm. um, and in the kingdom, again, you know, I cause the biggest operator, um, 10,000 employees on the ground. Um, we have a huge footprint today, and we're involved in all the Giga projects, um, heavily involved even from the onset, uh, not least if you look at something like Red Sea Project, which if you fly down that coastline and, and have a look at what is about to be opened up, uh, it is truly magnificent. Really, I, I, cannot, I cannot say. I, it, it, you know, if you look at Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, and I mentioned this, or, or a colleague had mentioned this, their perspective, there's two locations in the world where very few people have been. One is the North Pole and the other is Saudi Arabia. And, and it sounds like a quirky comment, but it's the truth. It's a reality. And Saudi Arabia has some of the most amazing architectural sites. If you look at... Um, uh, if you look at a site like uh, uh, Petra, yeah. well, it, it, I was going to reference Petra. If, okay. you, if you look at Petra, which is a site that people know, they've seen photographs on Instagram, social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, really, when you see Alula, it is jaw-dropping wow. uh, for the first time. And uh, so many people are going to get to experience that under a new hotel, uh, um, new hotel experience as it opens up infrastructure going in and they're being careful with their infrastructure uh, they're really being environmentally focused which is wonderful to see not least in the red sea which is such a massive piece of coastline and and very few people have ever dived there mm. you if you look at red sea egypt it's a very small piece at the top of the peninsula uh, which is sharm el sheikh and hergada and then down the coast you have this huge coastline that nobody's yeah. ever been on and the beach and the sea and it's just unbelievable. It's going to be wonderful for uh, for Saudi Arabia. Wonderful, right. very wonderful exciting. For, you make it even wonder, sound wonderful very... for tourism uh, uh, in general. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, you make it sound so exciting. <laughs> we we see oh, that. Yeah, yeah. It'll be good. Wow, cool. Uh, yeah, so as well, you know, talking uh, about the opportunity in the region, how do you describe to people who aren't familiar with uh, Arabian hospitality when it comes to your business? But how is, is it special? Is it different? I certainly feel it is, but how would you kind of describe it? And especially linking that to Dubai, what, what sort of, how makes, how does that add to the tourism industry that we have here? I mean, we're, we're fortunate here in the Middle East. We have a, a huge service culture. Uh, and again, you know, that, that's that feeling you get uh, when you go to a hotel, a hotel here. Uh, regardless of the segment, there is a really positive service culture here. Also, I think it's fair to say the quality of the hotel product here is high and, and the quality of the restaurant experience throughout the Middle East is, is particularly high. Um, not least, people dine out a lot. Uh, people come into the area uh, in, in uh, huge numbers and it needs to be great. Otherwise, 
uh, you, uh, you'll obviously struggle to retain guests. Yeah. From a Dubai perspective, it's a little bit of a, uh, of a comment plus. Dubai is a special location. You know, look at the way they've handled the pandemic. Total collaboration between the government and the industry from a tourism perspective. It's been wonderful, super communication throughout mm. what has been a horrible period. Um, I think globally, Dubai, UAE has led the pandemic, led the recovery. And you can see that in the statistics for the city, um, the way that it's handled vaccination, tourism, leisure, visa. Um, it's been unbelievable. Uh, seriously. And, and, and I don't make the statement lightly. I'm a little biased. I live here. I'm, I'm uh, 15 years plus in, in uh, Dubai. My children are all born here. So yes, I'm a little biased. But the reality is Dubai is one of the only locations in the world that you can travel in and out of safely and in a, a positive manner the airport experience is wonderful uh, compared to many locations and i have done some traveling recently so dubai has, has really led the way i have to say really led the way and interesting yeah and many people have experienced it but it's good to hear as well that the that you know both dubai and the government but also within your group that your group, you mentioned earlier, that fund to be able to support people and to support yeah, your sure. partners and that the staff have kind of kept going. And is that, is that leading all, Mark, towards a positive outlook of, um, you know, H2 2020 and uh, 2021 and then the bounce back or the kind of enthusiasm? Do you think, uh, broad question, but do you think this sort of, this said pent up uh, appetite for travel and uh, tourism will really help global economy and that we will have uh, a good few years ahead? Firstly, if you're after any kind of negativity, you ain't, you ain't gonna get it from me, that's for sure. Great, uh, yeah, positive person, but. <laughs> yeah. No, no choice. Uh, uh, listen, it, it, as I mentioned before, it's been a, it's been a dreadful 14 months. Um, we've seen a positive start to the year. Um, but you, you know, you have uh, awful situation in India currently going on. Uh, Turkey sitting in a lockdown. Morocco uh, still putting in place many controls. Saudi Arabia opening up slowly, uh, and the UAE I've commented on. But if you look forward, if we look into Q3 from where we sit today, um, we are where we thought we would be last quarter 2020, which is positive because it was very difficult to see any kind of future outlook last year in, in the first half of the year. So we are where we, where we thought we were gonna be. Q3 looks very positive. Q4 here, we have Expo. I think you'll see Saudi Arabia open its doors a little bit more towards religious tourism. Business will return, uh, business travel will return. And then as you get into 2022, Q1, Q2, I think you'll see the, the fallout of this pent up demand that you mentioned. Um, leisure wise, we can see there's a huge desire today to travel to leisure destination because people have not been able to travel. Um, and I think that will really, really kick in Q4 into uh, Q1 2022. Um, but also, and again, there's some differing views on this. My perspective is Teams is wonderful. Uh, WebEx is, is wonderful and it's served a fantastic purpose. Call me a little bit old fashioned. I still think people want to do business face-to-face. -face. I've attended a number of face-to-face -face uh, uh, meetings and conferences in the last weeks. People are so pleased 
and and it's so positive to interact face to face uh, uh, with colleagues and intermediaries and, and business partners. I also think that you'll see business bounce back. I think obviously meeting and events and large conference events will take time, but the other segments of business and definitely leisure is going to come back very strongly, I believe. Okay, that was going to lead to my next question. I thought I might catch you on that. It's something that you might be worried about in terms of business travel and uh, business occupancy, but no, oh, I'm positive. <laughs> That's great. Um, <laughs> worried, 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 no. I, I think realistic is the word I would use. You, you know, business travel, uh, not only is there the constraints with regards to safety and travel, the difficulties around travel with regards to PCR tests, etc. There's also the economic constraints where many businesses have been impacted from an economic perspective over the last 14 months. And that'll obviously take time to recover and, re and return. So that'll be the segment that, that for me uh, will take the longest to recover will be the meeting and event segment. But business will return and leisure will return positively, I believe. Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, and related to what would worry you, Mark, what, what kind of, what are the industry things that you have to keep up with? Is it the digital trends? Is it human behavior shifts? Uh, we've touched on that in the screens, I, but, but also the sharing economy and these recently, this recently big listed company um, <laughs> in terms of, you know, how do you, do you worry about that sort of these trends? Uh, is the industry live and well and how, uh, do you keep up? How do you adapt? How do you keep changing such a uh, huge group? You know, I'm, I'm super fortunate to not worry about too much. I don't know whether that's a good thing or, or, uh, or not. I, uh, I, I'm particularly good at, at surrounding myself with the most fantastic people, uh, which allows me to not worry too much. I have an amazing team uh, here in Dubai and, and out in the hubs. Um, a super wonderful uh, group of general managers. Uh, who've, who've, that's worth mentioning, who've brought us through this, uh, through this pandemic wonderfully well. I, as always, I'm humbled by the way people react to, uh, to adversity. And no, I'm, I'm not worried. I think the industry will bounce back very positively. Uh, I think it'll always be an industry that people will want to work in. Uh, and once you step in and, and, and get a little bit hooked, you're really hooked. There's no way out. Uh, there's no way after a period in, in hotels, you're going to work in a bank or, or, or something else structured um, because you quickly fall in love with the industry. So no, I, I think the outlook is positive. Uh, yes, it's been difficult the last 14 months, but uh, if you look forward, no, I'm not worried. I think we, uh, uh, we're in a good position today and I think that'll only improve as we, uh, as we get in and out of next year. Brilliant. Good note to finish on. It's, you know, I must say it's great to see that uh, such a global group uh, has a strong presence in the region and it, you know, it backs up a lot of what, you know, we, we ask on this show really a lot and I'll finish with is, you know, is the Middle East an emerging market and if so, will it emerge? And yeah, maybe your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I listen, I've been pitching the Middle East as a, as a positive emerging market for a long time. It is an emerging market, of course it is, but also it is a maturing market in a number of locations. If there's a better hospitality landscape than here in Dubai, anywhere in the world, I don't know where it is, and I know everywhere. Uh, and I've worked in many of those locations as well. Um, there's many positives to the industry in our area, and I think that the future for the Middle East looks particularly bright.
Amazing. Mark, I think you're the perfect guest for to buy works business podcast. So thank you very much for your time today and the right. positive outlook. Take care. Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy.